0: One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com.
1: Hi, I'm Derek O'Reilly, and for over 30 years I've been a licensed London taxi driver. For 20 years, I taught the knowledge to prospective London cab drivers. During this podcast, I'm going to be joined by experts who are going to bring the forgotten and secret history of London to life. Today, we're going to look at highway robbery. Hi, today I'm joined by a very interesting person. Hello there, I'm David Charnick. I'm actually a tour guide in the London borough of Tower Hamlets
2: and also in the City of London. I've lived in Tower Hamlets all my life and I teach
1: tour guiding there through the local council. Well, hello, David. Here we are once again. Hello, Derek. Good to see you again, as and always. Thank you, sir. <laughs> and you, sir. Now, t- today, let's have a little chat mm-hmm. about highway robbery. Mm. Now, I know we still use that term today, um, but I suppose it's used more as a, as a, a laugh, uh, you know, he's committed highway robbery kind of thing. That's right, yeah, especially when you get overcharged for something, you know. That's it. (laughs) Yeah, you know very well. Where's your mask and pistol, you know. (laughs) Absolutely. Mm. So let's talk about, particularly in the East End, highway robbery Mm. um, and the definitions, because, of course, it didn't necessarily mean um, on a coach or whatever, did it?
2: That's right. We've got the image of the highwayman, you know, the dandy highwayman with his tricorn hat you know and his little black mask on his horse and holding up the coach and highway robbery had to be committed on the highways. so in other words the roads between uh, towns and cities and so on except in London funnily enough Uh, what would normally be just robbery on the streets in other towns and cities in London was highway robbery. Was that, any any reason to that, was it a a particular act had been passed or? It wasn't a particular act, no, it was just a sort of custom really, that's uh, how it worked. Maybe because London was developing so much and the problem was becoming so prevalent that they wanted to make it a more serious offence because highway robbery was a capital offence. It was such a problem that the death penalty was uh, at least seen to be a deterrent. Whether it was or
1: not, of course, is a, another story. Of course, because the East End that I know, you know, you come through Leighton and into Stratford and into Bow and into Mile End is mm. all heavily built up. Yeah. But, of course, a couple of hundred years ago, that wouldn't have been the case. No, it wouldn't, no. I mean, the development of London is
2: relatively late, and developments eastward of London... Really, you're talking, well, I suppose areas like Spitalfields, Bethnal Green, that sort of thing, yeah, in the 1700s. But really, you're talking the late 18th century into the 19th century because of the growth of the docks and industry.
1: So mid-18th century, yeah, all fields around here, as they say. So can you give me an example of a, a highway robbery that took, part, took place in the East End, I should say? Just give me something that stands out. Yeah. Well, the, to illustrate, you know
2: how open these places were, and uh, how readily highwaymen were operating. I'll just tell you about uh, a surgeon called Martin. William Martin. Uh, This is 1740, so it's quite early in the 18th century. And he was confronted by a pistol-wielding soldier or ex-soldier in the open as he traveled from Bethnal Green to Old Ford. And so he was uh, trotting along in a chaise, which is like a little sort of carriage, uh, pulled by a horse, obviously. And he was heading out to Old Ford, presumably to see a patient. And as he was going along, he's got open fields around him. In the distance, there's a group of people planting peas in a field. But apart from that, no one. And this man stepped out into the road with a pistol. And he's George White. He's an old soldier, but um, mainly he's very poor. So, obviously, as an old soldier, he's brave, but his poverty, you know, spurs him on, as it were. And he brandishes this pistol at Martin and gets him to stop and says, you know, hand over your, your money and your possessions. Now, Martin has got these driving gloves on. So, he thinks, well, I'd better give him something and they'll get rid of him and then I can ride on. So... He doesn't think to take his gloves off and he starts fiddling in his pocket trying to reach coins, you know, so he could hand him something over. Um, But also he's playing for time because he can't shout out in case he gets shot. But he's hoping these people planting the peas will see what's going on Um, because obviously highway robbers are less inclined to go through with it if they've got a large number of witnesses. So, um, he's playing for time. He's also trying to make sure that George Wyatt doesn't see his watch. This is 1740, you don't have wristwatches in those days, you've got fob watches. So, he's got his coat round, trying to obscure the watch. He's got his big fat fingers with his driving gloves trying to get the coins out, uh, and playing for time in the hopes that someone will look over from the the pea planting. Anyway, this is taking so long that White gets fed up. He's like, right, I've had enough of this. <laughs> I'm going to shoot him. And, you know, I can shoot him and I can grab his stuff and I can make away, probably on his own carriage, you know, his chaise. So, George White pulled the trigger and the hammer came down. And this is 1740. This is one of those old pistols where you, you put the bullet down the, uh, the barrel, of the gun and you've got the little pan with a bit of gunpowder in uh, and that sets off the main charge so you've only got one shot really you've got one shot yeah and the spark goes through the little hole the touch hole to set off the gunpowder to shoot the bullet and so the hammer came down knocked the flint and the powder in the pan fizzled and that's it The gun didn't go off. Oh, what happened So suddenly, well, yeah, you've got this man with a gun that doesn't work and you've got this man sitting on his chaise with a horse whip. And horse whips are designed to be felt by horses that have got thick skin, and people have got quite thin skin. So being horsewhipped really hurts. So as soon as Martin realises that the dynamics have now reversed themselves, he got his horse whip and he's starting to thrash at George Wyatt, and he got down off the chaise and chased Wyatt off into the fields. So they go running across the fields. You got the two of them there, and. Um, <clears throat> George white at one point stopped and turned round again and brandished his pistol maybe he thought that um you know Martin might think he'd had a chance to reload or something you know or maybe white was just hoping that um he could get a bit of action out of the pistol whatever but uh, it didn't stop martin who happened to see a, a bit of a broken brick on the ground so he picked it up and flung it at wyatt and then carried on chasing him and then before too long someone else came along on a horse and they managed to get wyatt and they took him off to the magistrate and what was his punishment well, funnily enough, we don't know. It's not recorded. It, it, he only went to the magistrate, so he didn't go before the old Bailey, so he wasn't put up to court. So presumably he... I mean, he might have been fined, but then again, he didn't have any money. So if he was, he was probably um, maybe flogged or imprisoned or something
1: sh- on a short term. Mm. Yeah, but uh, so not a serious the, punishment. The punishment, um, just to be clear, yeah. if you robbed somebody you didn't shoot them... Mm -hmm. Did you get the same punishment than if you robbed them and you did shoot them? If it was highway robbery, yeah. Um, The thing about
2: the 18th century, it's a time of what's known as the bloody code. And a whole shed load of crimes were put on the books as capital offences. So things like pickpocketing. Pickpocketing was a capital offence. So you could be hanged if you were convicted of pickpocketing. The thing was, though, the vast majority of death sentences um, weren't carried out. We tend to think of the judiciary of previous centuries as being this sort of blind force that would just roll over the innocent and the guilty alike, you know, and you'd be strung up at the slightest provocation. But the reality is that uh, they tried to avoid the death sentence if possible. And if the death sentence should be passed there were ways that uh, they would try to commute it to, as I say, maybe transportation to the penal colonies, for instance, that kind of thing. So America first, and then after the unpleasantness of the 1770s, uh, down to Australia oh and so on. Dear. Yeah, I mean, the if you look at the old Bailey, the, the old courthouse that used to be on the old Bailey, um, in the 1700s, depending on what, part of the century you're in between 50 and 60 percent of the death sentences handed out
1: were not followed through they were either commuted to something else or pardoned completely it's interesting because the general assumption is that uh you know you were sent before the beak and that was it oh yeah yeah i mean but then again
2: like a lot of popular perceptions they They're really something that has come
1: about over time. Yeah, absolutely, definitely. Mm. Now, going back to highway robbery, um, again, my perception, it was always done by a a man on a horse robbing a coach. But, of course, there would have been street robberies going on um, within more urban areas. All the time. Um, In the West
2: End, well, the developing West End, because, you know, the 1600s, 1700s, you start getting the West End coming into being. And so you've got developers who are putting out streets of houses for affluent tenants. But in the East End, you've got brewers, other tradesmen, that kind of thing. You've got businessmen. Uh, you've got, especially as you go into the late 18th century, you're starting to get rich merchants. In, well, mid, early to mid 1700s, you've got places like Limehouse, which have rich merchants living there in Wapping, but they go downriver to Poplar with the coming of the docks and so on. So there were affluent people around. They just weren't um,
1: sort of particularly socially high. David, tell me another interesting story (laughs) about highway robbery in East London. Well, one
2: of the things about highway robbery is how young some of the people could be who did it. And this is certainly the case for a man called uh, Peter Conway, who was up th- on three charges of highway robbery. Um, the first time, the first two charges, they were uh, for robberies committed in December 1769. And then in 1770, he was up for murder, uh, which was consequent on a highway robbery. Right. Right. The first two cases he actually got off. He was part of a gang, but he wasn't convicted of actually causing the um the actual robberies. So and he got deaths. off on the murder case as well. The first two um he wasn't deemed to have been uh, to blame. Okay. They, I mean, laws of joint enterprise would apply today. You know that if you're part of the gang, you're responsible whether or not you pull the trigger or what have you. Um, but uh, he managed to get off the first two charges of highway robbery, but other members of the gang didn't. They right. were hanged. Okay. But um, Peter Conway, as I say, was about twenty at the time. So did he carry on with his so-called trade? well the thing was he seems to have enjoyed it and so he created his own gang so it was a a gang of four there was him uh, there was a man called uh, Richardson a man called Jackson and a man called Fox and they were all about 20 and they decided to go out uh, on the spree and commit some robberies so this is May 1770 And they went down to a place called Prince's Square. Now, Prince's Square doesn't exist anymore. It's down Shadwell Way, uh, not too far from Wilton's Music Hall. It's called Swedenborg Gardens now. Yeah, yeah, I know the area well. Yeah, so just off the highway or Ratcliffe Highway as it used to be. And it was laid out in the 1720s for Swedish timber merchants. Because you had a well close square nearby. It was laid out in the 1680s for Danish-Norwegian timber merchants who were selling timber to help with the rebuilding of London after the Great Fire of 1666. Anyway, they went to a shop, the gang, a man called Dunn. Uh, his brother was a, a gunsmith. And so he had some of his stock in the shop. So they went in. And uh, Robert Dunn served them. And they said, we need a couple of second-hand pistols. So he sold them a couple of horse pistols, um, which, incidentally, are big pistols that you use from a horse as opposed to ones for shooting horses. Right, again, glad you made that clear. (laughs) (laughs) So, anyway, they got their pistols and and they went off on a spree of drinking for a, a, a day or so. And then later they decided to set out and actually hold someone up. So they're in Stepney. And the first thing that happens is this man comes along called Kilpack, Thomas Kilpack. He's a footman, so he's a servant. And Patrick Conway goes towards him to stop him, you know, to rob him. And he has a look at him and he says, he hasn't got anything. (laughs) So they just (laughs) let him go on, you know, no point holding him up. Right. But then shortly afterwards, as they're getting further into Stepney, so an area that's more built up, they saw these two men coming along. Uh, one's called Venables, one's called Rogers. And Venables was a butcher and Rogers was a carpenter. So used to using their hands, you know, and Venables was a, a well set up fellow, you know, Um And uh, they decide to stop them and rob them. Now, Jackson, he says, oh, hang on a minute. Now, we we can't take them on. They've looked far too strong for us. So, uh, you know, well, you go ahead, but I'm off. And so he started walking away down the road. But he was still within earshot when the incident occurred. So Conway and Richardson, they've got the pistols. Fox is unarmed. And so they stop Venables and Rogers at pistol point. So Venables, maybe he was just too confident or maybe thought they looked a bit tentative or whatever. He's got a big stick with him. So the first thing he does is knocks Richardson to the ground and then Fox, so he fells them with this big wax from his stick and they try to get up and he whacks them down again. So they're on the floor. And you've got Conway standing there holding his gun. Remember, one shot. This is 17. 17- yeah, of course. No time yeah. to reload. Absolutely. No time to reload at all. It's 1770. So what's he going to do? He can't threaten both of them because he could only shoot one of them. And so he has this little quandary. But as he's standing there, Richardson, from the ground, managed to get his pistol out. And he shot Venables. And so Venables dropped. So Conway just pulled his trigger and shot Rogers, and Rogers fell to the ground as well. Both men died instantaneously, you know. So what happens now? They've stopped them to rob them,
1: Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.
2: But they're in a fairly built-up area, and there's been two shots at nighttime when you know everything's quiet and the sound carries, and they think, we can't stop here. Someone will come to the window, someone will come to the door, whatever. So they just run and fox picks up a hat belonging to one of the victims it's not specified which one as they're running along they're getting within sight of st dunstan's church and he thinks oh hang on a minute this is this is incriminating evidence so he flung it into a field and off they went and then they again went on a drinking spree around the the stepney area down to uh, wapping and so on and then heading up river to the city to billingsgate and that was that for a couple of days, but the thing is, Jackson, the one who walked away, he either he got a bit wary, you know, in case he should get arrested or whatever, you know, if the finger should point at him, or maybe he wanted a bit of immunity or just wanted a bit of cash. But he uh, went to the authorities and he handed himself in as an information now this is what these days we were called turning queen's evidence in other words you give information in exchange for immunity
1: or in the east end a grass a grass
2: yeah (laughs) (laughs) a deal um anyway so in exchange for immunity and a hundred pound Uh, That's a decent sum of money in 1770. Definitely. Yeah. He revealed all. He spilled every bean in the can. And so Richardson and Conway were arrested for highway robbery and murder. Now, the thing is that um, Fox hadn't actually been involved in hurting anyone. All he'd done was to get clubbed down on the floor and then to pick up a hat, which he threw away. So uh, it seems that no action was taken against Fox. But uh, Conway and Richardson, that was very different. They'd shot these men dead. And so they were up for murder, and they were hanged. Now, this is a time when, if you were hanged for murder... Either your body would be handed over to the medical colleges for dissection, you know, for the medical students to practice, or you would be hung up in chains as a warning to the others. And that's what happened to Conway and Richardson. They were taken to Bow Common. I know of, will. Yep. Well, you know Common Lane, because oh, yeah, the absolutely. common isn't there anymore. No. It's one of these traditional East End open spaces yeah. that no longer survive. And, uh, and the bodies were hung up, uh, presumably in gibbets, you know, the sort of body-shaped cages, so that um, when they started falling apart, you know, they, they wouldn't uh, fall apart too quickly. And people sort of flocked to see them. I mean, the idea was this was supposed to be a deterrent. But people came along, oh, oh there they are. Oh, these are the robbers. Ooh. And at one point, they had a little fair there. You know, <laughs> there's people gathering and they're selling food and drink and stuff like that. You know, come and see the rotting corpses. But yeah, so people had a rather more a morbid sense
1: of entertainment in those days. Now, obviously, we've mentioned pistols, um, presumably clubs and other weapons were used. <clears throat> I mean, mm. was there a free availability of pistols, bullets and other bits of paraphernalia that would be required to commit these offences? Oh, these things were freely available,
2: absolutely. I mean, as I say, the pistols, they they were just bought quite legally over the counter. <clears throat> i tell you something though, in connection with those pistols. They bought the pistols and it was only when Conway and his gang went out to commit the robbery, they realised they'd forgotten something. They hadn't bought any bullets.
1: No, tell me more, David. <laughs> How did they get around that problem? Well, um, again, this is
2: 1770, so it's a time when you don't have guns like they are today. You would have, it's basically a tube, metal tube, and you put your powder charge down there, put your spherical bullet in, and then a bit of cloth to hold it in place so they didn't have any um, bullets so what they did was they got a pewter spoon so bullets were made of lead pewter is lead and tin so it's quite soft and they got this pewter spoon they just cut it up into little bits and and curled them round so that they would make slugs that were big enough to go into the barrel of the pistol and that's what they used. So that's how uh, Venables and Rogers were shot. They weren't shot with ordinary bullets, they were shot with bits of pewter
1: spoon. Incredible, incredible story. Now, what would have brought about or brought the end of sort of highway robbery? I mean, it actually hasn't ended because, let's be fair, there's still muggings and street crime committed today. But I mean, what slowed the progress down for these people? just increased uh, law enforcement, really. Um,
2: You get, of course, in 1829, the establishment of the Metropolitan Police by Sir Robert Peel, who was the Home Secretary at the time. And he didn't just say, we need a police force he laid out, you know, how a police force should work. You know, patrols, that kind of thing, a proper structure. Uh, The whole metropolitan area was divided up into divisions and each division had a letter and so on. And they had a local uh, hierarchy of authority and monitoring and so on. So uh, it was increasing policing, basically, that started slowing this down. Although, as you say, of course, violence on the streets never really stopped. It just sort of commuted as it were
1: to a different form of robbery and uh, the demise of sort of stagecoaches in favor of other modes of transport i suppose this would have had an effect yeah
2: stagecoaches were vulnerable on the highway that was the thing and uh, the idea of the the highwayman holding up the stagecoach isn't a figment of our imagination or romanticism it was real but then in the 1840s, you get the railways and the railways come in and they do away with the stagecoach trade completely. By the 1850s, the only people driving a stagecoach are doing it as an equestrian sport. It's not done as a, a commercial enterprise anymore because the trains are there. And... You can't really stand in front of a speeding train with a gun and say, you know, stand. <laughs> you will not be standing. No,
1: absolutely long. not. No, you'd have been well done away with. And um, can you give me any more stories to end with on highway robbery? Well, here's the big one.
2: Uh, John Austin. He was the last man to be hanged at Tyburn. He was hanged there in 1783. And he was from Bethnal Green. And he was hanged for highway robbery and attempted murder of a man called John Spicer. Uh, This is a time when, as I mentioned, you get development to the west of the city and development was creeping along to Tyburn. And Tyburn was a village by the River Tyburn. I mean, nowadays, it's Marble Arch. It's yeah. well central to the to West London. But in those days, it was a village. But it was being reached by London. And the last thing these developers wanted when they were putting out their terraces of nice Georgian houses for their nice uh, Georgian tenants was for public hangings to be taking place down the road with all these... Um, Crowds of people jostling away pickpockets, people um, selling the confessions from the gallows that had actually been written the day before and that kind of thing. Uh, So they had to stop hangings at Tyburn. And so they moved them to Newgate, Newgate Jail where the old Bailey stands now. That's why the road is wide at the top. The road was widened to allow the crowds to gather to watch the hangings outside the jail on Monday mornings.
1: Okay, right. Monday was
2: hanging day. (laughs) But John Austin, um, as I say, he was a highway robber from Bethnal Green, but um, what he did with John Spicer was, was not... Typical, because to say the highway robber would normally just stop someone, you accost someone, you demand their money, but he went out to Ilford. You mentioned coming in from Essex. Well, he went to Ilford. He was at the a, a Coach and Horses, one of the stagecoach inns, and that's where he met John Spicer. John Spicer was coming in from Greys. He was heading for London. He wanted work, basically. And he met Austin at the Coach and Horses. And they got talking. And Austin said, oh, I can help you. So let's journey, journey into London together. So they did. And he took Spicer to Whitechapel, to the White Swan, which was an inn on the south side of Whitechapel Road. And he got Spicer installed with a drink, And he says, you stay there. I'll go and find us some proper lodgings. And he got a bit of cash out of Spicer to get some food as well for them. Anyway, Spicer's there for about three or four hours. And then suddenly a man turns up called Patrick Bowman. And he said he's a friend of Austin's. Austin's found them some lodgings. And if Spicer comes with him, with Bowman, he'll take him. To austin so they go along to the blade bone which was at the mile end turnpike so mile end gate which is at the bottom of cambridge heath road if you know the area yes no, yeah. uh so top of sydney street so, yeah anyway so they went to the blade bone so spicer thinks oh well we're going to stay here tonight and austin says oh we're not staying here we're just going up the road so it's getting dark now, you know, and so they start walking off, and after a while, they're in the middle of a field, walking along by a ditch, and Spicer says, this is a funny place to go looking for lodgings, and then Patrick uh, Bowman produced his cutlass from under his smock, and he sort of threatened Spicer with it. Now, whether Spicer was a bit overconfident or whether it was just some burly country man, you know, uh, whatever. But he wasn't having this. And so he went for Bowman, even though he was unarmed. And uh, they were fighting and Bowman was managing to get the occasional cut in with the cutlass on his hands and arms and so on. So it wasn't long before Spicer was bleeding. Now, Austin came over and Spicer doesn't know that... Bowman and Austin are working together. He thinks Austin's gonna help him. So of course, Austin gets him down on the ground and Austin and Bowman truss him up and then they start robbing him. As you can imagine, this has not been a silent process. (laughs) There's been a lot of noise and, and commotion. Now, nearby was a man called Strong. And Strong was a gardener and he came over and to see what was going on. And he saw the two men trying to rob Spicer, who was on the ground trussed up. So, Strong, James Strong, he went running over to them, and so Bowman and Austin, they're away, because the last thing they want is witnesses. And off they go, and Spicer is trussed on the ground, so Strong passes him, trying to catch up with the other two, but then they stop. Bowman brandishes his cutlass. Austin brandishes his stick, and it's getting quite dark now, so Strong thinks that's another sword, or another blade. So he thinks, oh, I'm not having this, I'm not having two of them after me. So uh, he gives up the pursuit, and he goes back to Spicer. And Spicer's bleeding fairly uh, freely freely at this point. And so Strong just... Who clearly lived up to his name, he just picks him up. Yeah, <laughs> and strong, by him name, strong by nature, yeah. <laughs> and he carried him back to um, to the place where he worked, and uh, he, Giles Wells' house. Giles Wells employed him as a gardener, and he takes him back to Giles Wells's house, and they untie him and they look after his wounds and they uh, take him off to the London hospital. So this is 1783, remember, so the London Hospital had been where it is for about 30 years, give or take.
1: Right. Yeah,
2: so, <clears throat> the next morning, James Strong, the gardener, goes back to the field where Spicer was attacked because he thinks, you know, it's a poor man. Maybe the, the attackers dropped something, you know. Uh, they hadn't, but what was there was John Austin's hat And Austin had come back himself to look for the hat. And when they had met the night before, it was so dark that in the morning they didn't recognize each other. So no one knew that the other one was involved, except of course, that Austin was all over blood from Spicer. So strong as you say, strong by name, strong by nature, he overpowered Austin and dragged him back to Giles Welles' house and they locked him in the stable until they could get, um, get him taken away and up before the magistrate, etc. So, Austin thinks, oh, hang on a minute, I've got some of Spicer's possessions. I've got his handkerchief and his stockings. Because remember, this is a time before socks, when yes, men and yeah, women yeah, wore yeah. stockings. Yeah. Um, and so he hid them in the straw. So, anyway, off he goes to the magistrates under custody, you know. But Wells thinks, hang on a minute, maybe he's hidden something in the stable. So, he gets one of his men to search the stable and they find the handkerchief and the stockings, which are spices. And that is the evidence that hangs Austin. So, there you go. He was convicted, sentenced to death, and as I say, the last person to be hanged at Tyburn.
1: What an incredible story. So did the Mm. other guy get away? Bowman. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It was only Austin who was actually arrested. Bowman seems to have eluded uh, investigations. So what happened to him? We don't know. He just disappears.
1: So So that's the story of the last man to be
2: executed at Tyburn. Oh, yeah. Uh, Mind you, it wasn't on the old Tyburn tree, you know, the old triangular gallows. Yes. uh, Because that had been taken down by then. It was just an ordinary gallows. But it wasn't um, a sort of... a Well, it was a big occasion in a way because it was the last hanging at Tyburn. But it sort of went out with a bit of a whimper, really, because uh, although Austin gave a show of bravado, when they actually got him there and got the noose round his neck, he suddenly became a bit more sort of uh, nervous. Contrite, yeah. Yeah, and he was sort of trembling and uh, and people said at the time was trembling so much that the gallows was starting to shake. I mean whether that's just exaggeration or what, we don't know. Um but that was a time when you didn't have a drop. You know, you didn't stand on the trapdoor and the trapdoor falls away and you drop. You had a drop of a couple of inches or so. So you died by strangulation effectively. Yep. Yeah. You would have the noose round your neck and you would be in a cart, and then they just drive the cart away. And so you drop a few inches. And you effectively strangle, yeah. Um, the noose actually went round the back of his head. It wasn't on there properly, and it took him 10 minutes to die. Uh, doing the Tyburn jig, as they called it, you know, the, the involuntary spasms of the body trying to breathe. Um,
1: yeah. So, so that's the end of Tyburn. Well, yep. David, on that happy note, I suppose, <laughs> uh, we'll say goodbye. Absolutely. Well, thanks very much. Thank you.